This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome in. The Lions 24-7 podcast is back. Signing day has come and gone. We'll have a lot to talk about there. In our last episode, we did a position-by-position breakdown. Mentioned all 27 players who ultimately signed with Penn State on Wednesday. Would encourage you for a detailed look at each of those guys to check out our episode earlier this week. We have Barton Simmons, the National Director of Scouting for 24-7 Sports, on for a really solid 25-minute segment. Later here on the podcast, he goes over some of his favorite players in the Penn State class and and some of those who maybe he thinks are going to exceed expectations, exceed their rankings, even the rankings that he helped apply to those players. So look forward to that conversation. But here for the moment on a Friday afternoon, we are fresh out of Penn State's Bull Media Day. We'll get a chance to do another Bull Media Day down in Dallas the day after Christmas. But a lot to take away from this one. And Tyler Donahue, Sean Fitz with you. And Sean, we'll start off. Uh, we now know who's going to be calling plays uh, in this game against Memphis. We do know. And it's Tyler Bowen, former, or not former tight ends coach but tight ends coach is the interim OC um, not a big surprise I think that was the first guy that we pointed to coming off of Ricky Ronnie going to, to Old Dominion but uh, he's got play calling experience he was the offensive coordinator at Fordham after Joe Moorhead left um, so he's got an opportunity to I guess sort of audition for James Franklin and that's the way that I kind of look at it right now um, you, you saw in the Tax Slayer Bowl uh, against Georgia Ricky Ronnie was sort of up for an audition of course he wasn't up for the job I do think Bowen's going to get the opportunity to to uh, interview for this job, but I think that this is something that James Franklin could put into his memory bank. He's often said that he's always interviewing, he's always observing, and this is Tyler Bowen's shot, so it's a, it's, it's a great one. I mean, Tyler's, what, 31 years old? Um, he's going to have an opportunity to call a, a New Year's Six Bowl game, and really just kind of get on the on the radar for himself and I think that's a, a big thing you got some continuity with uh, with the same offense going through which is you know it's what happens in every bowl game but still different tendencies different timing different things like that be interested to see how uh, how Bowen gets it done and I know many of our listeners know this already, but Tyler Bowen serves as Penn State's uh, offensive recruiting coordinator. We had a chance to speak with him on signing day. So he does a lot for this program, and, and it's it's hard to forget. What is he, 31 years old, Sean? Uh, you know, this is a great opportunity for him in his career. And as you said, Ricky Ronnie had the opportunity to do this back in 2015 then resumed an assistant role in the offensive staff with Moorhead. Um, now, now, Franklin definitely was pretty forthright indicating that, that while there are members of this staff, and certainly Tyler Bowen under consideration, for the job and, and in those conversations he, he he did say it was more of a, a equated thing to 
Ricky Ronnie's experience. And it seems to be um, that that Franklin isn't going to give us much more than that uh, on this conversation because he was asked, as you'd expect, uh, two or three times over the course of his press conference today about that offensive coordinator search. And uh, he had probably the, the, what resulted in some of the, the most laughs I've heard in this media room covering the team and when he was saying he wasn't just going to go to champs and, and find the guy who has all the answers after every play uh, during the course of the season. And uh, Johnny Hindsight you know, was a reference he threw out there and uh, it, it was it was it was a little bit of brevity he also mentioned Fra- uh franklin did uh people are f- tracking his flights and sean fitz uh, were you aware that people were, f- were tracking james franklin's flights yeah our flight trackers on the site james <laughs> would like to have a word with you because i don't think he appreciates it as much as the folks on our board at lines 24 7 do so he's trying to keep it uh, I, I said it last episode he's trying to keep that thing as tight as possible um the inner circle is more like a dot when you're talking about the guys that are involved in this coaching search Franklin says everything that gets out impacts something down the line. Uh, we'll see what happens. I mean, he's he's obviously not ready to to name a coach. But to go back to Bowen for a second, um, it, it's kind of in that Ronnie situation where if you're doing it right, if you if you hire a guy that's that's going to get your offense where you need it to be, I mean, that's a two year job. I mean, this isn't the, this isn't something where he's hiring his uh, his sidekick for the next five to ten years. This is a two year job where that guy can uh, eventually go on and be in a, a head coach somewhere or go to the NFL or do something up the chain. So. When that comes back around, I mean, Bowen's going to be up for it in two years or whatever, if, if, if all goes to plan. So I think this is a, a great opportunity for him. I'm, I'm very high on what he's done with the uh, the tight ends. As I said, he's got coordinator experience, uh, Colin plays for Fordham. Then he went to Maryland, was an offensive line coach. So very diverse on the resume. And for him to get this shot says a lot. Uh, James Franklin often says he's a rising star. We're going to get to see what happens uh, when that happens when Penn State plays Memphis in, in I guess, just over a week. And selfishly, from our perspective, Tyler, very great dealing with the media, something that that, uh, he's gotten better and better with, and he was fantastic to speak with on Wednesday. Um, Now, there was a lot of player news coming out of this one. I know a lot of focus on the coaching staff, what's going to happen with the offensive coordinator. Put that one on the back burner for now. We know what they're going to do for the Cotton Bowl. And there is no timeline, at least publicly, that Franklin was going to share on when he's going to announce any kind of hiring. Um, injury updates were were certainly a factor here because when the season ended, there were some question marks. Uh, one of them, obviously, at the starting quarterback spot. Will Levis uh, stepped up to start against Rutgers. Wasn't very pretty as a passer. Got the job done. Got a win. Uh, but it sounds like they're going to get QB1 back, uh, expecting a, quote, 100% Sean Clifford against Memphis. He's been increasing his reps on the practice field over the course of bowl preparation uh, and certainly every indication is he's going to be back in the saddle when they get into the Cotton Bowl. Yeah, healthy enough is probably how I would describe it. I mean, you, yeah, I don't know that he's going to get back to 100%. It takes a while. I mean, these guys take a beating, especially the way Penn State runs a quarterback. Uh, it, it takes a while for him to get to, to eventually get back to 100%. Sounds like he got taken care of what he needed to get taken care of. The extra time is going to pay off, and he's going to be out there and, and be starting. I mean, it really... Uh, we saw, or I saw him when he was at Lash the other day, looked fine, looked ready uh, ready to go. They're still easing him in there on the practice field, which is really what you want. I mean, you want Will Levis to get reps. You want those freshmen to get some reps in there. So um, every every opportunity that he's going to get are, are, are opportunities that he needs because he does need improvement. But at the end of the day, I mean, this bowl practice is not going to make and break you it, it, or make or break you. It's an opportunity for guys uh, like Roberson, like uh, Michael Johnson Jr., because they're getting a chance at this uh, at this juncture in 
bowl practice, they're getting a chance to run their own stuff. This is not uh, go out there and run run plays off a card for scout team. They're going to go out there, run Penn State's offense, see what they've got. So even at 100%, Sean Clifford wouldn't be getting all the snaps, but it seems like that's been more balanced and they're just going to work their way until they get down to Dallas next week. Uh, they're going to work their way up to, to Clifford being, I guess, the full-time guy. Clifford will be going up against a Memphis defense that was pretty pedestrian this year. Uh, uh, the Memphis offense, top 10 in scoring defense, solid, but certainly not a stout uh, group. And their defensive coordinator uh, departed to join the Florida State staff. So they're dealing with the transition there. Uh, also in the offensive backfield, you talked about healthy enough. That was not the case for Noah Kane over the course of November. We kept waiting week after week. He would travel with the team. Um, they were very conservative with that approach. One, because of the running back depth that they have. We saw what Journey Brown was able to do. Uh, they like what they have in Devin Ford. Ricky Slade was still involved there. Uh, but Noah Kane, Sean, it's it, what we got here was good to go, normal. Uh, Franklin says you know there was times when they thought he was on track to play on a certain week, and then they would see some lingering limping, and just not enough to convince them to take take a chance and, and have this kid have a setback. And Franklin, you know, put it this way. They said if they had maybe rolled the dice in one of those games in November, he may not be available in this situation to play in the Cotton Bowl. Yeah, the setback is is not worth the risk. Um, you know, you're just going to, or I guess the reward would not be re- worth the risk in that point, especially with Journey Brown playing the way that he was. So you get Noah Kane back from the bowl. I think, I mean, it's going to be a situation where you're going to have all four of those guys with an opportunity to get, uh, to get carries. But I think the split just is going to lean heavier to Journey Brown because he was so fantastic at the end of the year. So good news to get Kane back. I mean, it's, it, it's really... Um, I mean, he, he provided something for this offense that they really didn't have. Now, Journey Brown started till the, at the end of the year, started to get around to that and give them the tough yards and do some really good things. So not sure how much that split's going to go, but get that kid healthy, get him to the spring, get him uh, to next season, and then give him a chance to compete. And I think that's the that's certainly the way to go. Defensively, of course, they missed Yitor Gross Matos. They missed Tariq Castro-Fields for the Rutgers game. Gross Matos had a brace on his left hand. Uh, he plans to play. Uh, from from what we saw from the depth chart, Tariq Castro-Fields plans to play. You know, Penn State, you, you don't want to say completely healthy, but fairly healthy across the board. Yeah, Gross Matos had that brace on his left hand again today. Got a chance to speak with him for a bit. And, you know, really diving into the fact that he made note in his draft announcement that he wanted to play in the bowl game. We've seen a lot of guys, unless it's a playoff matchup, they're often going to move forward now. I shouldn't say often, but it's happening with more frequency than ever in college football where you see players uh, declare for the draft and say, I'm also not playing in the bowl game. Yitor said that was not going to happen. And and despite the fact that he is clearly has a limitation or an ailment there with his left hand, uh, suffering that injury against Ohio State uh, he says he's going to be ready to roll uh, so his expectation is to play obviously it's a chance for, for him to go out on top and he once said he wants to help send the senior class out with a victory and finish off an 11 win season on a big stage but uh, let's face it it's also going to be a, an audition like every game is but uh, his final audition for NFL draft scouts you know until you start factoring in the combine testing and the interviewing and all that different stuff. And given the numbers that they have at defensive end, I don't think anybody expects him to play a full game like he would have against Ohio State or something like that. Uh, on top of that, Memphis right uh, starting right tackle for the season uh, is not going to play. He's not even on the roster anymore. So obviously that's something that Penn State defensive ends will, will like to see in front of them. They're getting a guy that's probably not going to play or hasn't played a lot of football this year. So um, yeah, I, I can see this being a productive game for him, but I don't, I really do there's no reason to play him, you know, full reps. You've got a chance to get, uh, you know, other guys like uh, Simmons and Joseph and Adisa Isaac and Jason Owe. Get some of those guys some reps because they're going to need it uh, coming out of the season. 
Yitor is quick to point out Adiza Isaac and Jason Owe as guys, he says, are on the come up behind him. And, and when he's off campus, he thinks they're going to do big things. Uh, saw flashes from both of them this year. Uh, so Yitor, we know that the verdict there. We know that Michael Mennett and, and Will Fries are coming back. We know Pat Fryermuth is coming back. One guy that we're all waiting for, KJ Hamler, and he was not about to give us any answers at the bowl game regarding his decision. Whether he has made one or not, we do not know. He says that he is still uh, internally debating the two options of either declaring for the draft after his redshirt sophomore season or returning for another year in Happy Valley. But he says we will find out after the bowl game. Um, He's one of a few guys we have talked about who are draft eligible and are starters for this team. But uh, very clearly, the guy who's led this team in in receiving back-to-back years, uh, the only receiver each of those two years who has exceeded 30 receptions so important to this offense he was named team MVP in the banquet uh, and you know clearly wasn't really in the mood today to talk too much about the NFL draft but uh, you know whether or not he's got a decision made I guess we'll find out I think really on, on the 26th or, or I'm sorry on the 28th maybe the 29th and I think Miles Sanders waited a day or two for his announcement but I, I have to imagine we're going to find out pretty quickly I would think so. I mean, this is something he's been weighing and thinking about for a long time, and I've got to think he's close to a decision. Again, I mean, there's 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 pros and cons for everything. Franklin talked about that in his press conference, not just in respect to KJ, but also guys like Tariq Castrofield, Shaka Tony, other guys with with some decisions to make. So um, they'll, they'll they'll sit down, they'll talk about it a little bit more. We'll see where he falls on the draft board. You know, Penn State has an opportunity to get feedback on five underclassmen per draft, and they I'm sure hey, I'm sure KJ Hamler was one of them. Um, so they'll have an opportunity to take that feedback and take what they will. Really, really good receiver class. But as I said last the last episode. I'm not really sure how much further he's going to move up. I, I you know, I see him as a, a late second, early third round pick right now. Speed is is, is so, um, you know, it's so hard to find, and 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 really these teams maybe overvalue it at times. So KJ goes out there and busts a four three. All of a sudden he moves up a couple of spots, and that's a, that's a pretty good spot to be in. Franklin seemed to indicate that once you once you're getting that round three or below uh, report back, that that maybe it's a better idea to come back. And so the discussions what will happen, and and what we've said, KJ Hamler has the speed, and and that's what people covet. Um, not, doesn't have the size right now, and I don't think that's going to come between now and when he gets on an NFL football field. Um, other roster stuff here, Pat Fryermuth got a chance to speak with him today, went into his decision. He made that decision, he said probably came to terms with it uh, towards the second half of the season that he was going to stay on campus, but he said it was, uh, the you know, he nailed it in uh, with that Ohio State game. He said afterward, and, and I don't know if you saw this, Sean, after that Ohio State game, he was very visibly emotional about that loss, and he said he told Sean Clifford after afterward that he was coming back for 2020 we all found out a week later after the Rutgers game and and then we said well what was was the decision for you I've never heard this response he said he wasn't ready to live on his own deal with paying bills and doing adult stuff and I I think he knows he makes a lot of money playing football at that level that will help with the bills but it was a funny response and you know Pat again we heard it from Franklin we heard it from Fryermuth. I think it's going to be a mantra we hear into the spring unfinished business and it's something that he mentioned a couple times well, then that's the reason that these rules are in place. I mean, he's just been in college for two years. I know he's got the loophole and he could have done it, but still, I mean, getting a chance to go on your own at that uh, at that age is is tough for anybody. 
uh, you know, let alone with the pressure of being on an NFL franchise. So I, I just think it's it's one of those things. And we and we heard about this during the summer uh, that he could possibly do this. And everybody around the program and everybody that we talked to said, yeah, he's really not considering it because I, I don't think he's been here long enough. Well, then all of a sudden the, the touchdowns pile up, the, the the catches and the accolades start to pile up, the snubs start to pile up, of course. Um, but, you know, that's just one of those things where he wasn't done being a college kid. And, you know, College football isn't for everybody, so I could see people in this situation taking advantage of that and going uh, and starting to get paid for 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 what they're going through. Um, but uh, Pat didn't really seem like he was, you know, leaning that way in 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 any sort of manner. So him coming back is not a shot. It's good to hear that he he likes having fun. He likes Penn State and he likes playing football for them. And he, by the way, uh, we'll mention. I was going to mention this on the other side when we get into some signing day stuff. But Fryermuth said he was on the phone uh, the weekend before Theo Johnson's uh, uh, announcement, the second announcement after he'd already postponed. And Fryermuth, he took a lot of credit. I'm not going to lie. He, he said he he played a big role in recruiting Theo Johnson and really he promised him. He said, "You get to campus, I'll take you under my wing. I'll show you my entire process." You stick to it. You're going to be a star at Penn State. And Theo Johnson will be here in a few weeks, Sean. So I know that's something Penn State fans are really happy to hear. And it doesn't seem like this is a program that's going to have to potentially deal with much of a drop-off at the position. We'll find out when Pat actually does depart campus. But really a solid peer recruiting job, not a peer recruiting job, from the internal Penn State program with Fryermuth reaching out, taking it upon himself to, to, to do his best with Theo Johnson. So he's a guy who wants everyone all in next year. He wants to go chase a championship. He said, that's the expectation for 2020 win a national championship at Penn State so he's doing his part there um, in terms of reaction to Justin Shorter hitting the transfer portal it's a touchy subject obviously uh, but players were pretty open about it when I asked the question uh, wasn't sure what kind of reaction I was going to get and I specifically talked to two of his classmates from that 2018 recruiting class Sean PJ Mustafer, Jahan Dotson Dotson and him go pretty far back uh, both at the same position as well they said they've been in communication with him since then they understand that he needs to do what's right for him, uh, but I will say, with, with you know, without getting anything too definitive, wasn't getting any kind of vibes really that that the that Justin Shorter is about to swing on back here and and, and rejoin the roster. Um, but you know, who knows with, with that? But I will say, other thing that kind of stood out. KJ Hamler was asked about it, and it sounded like he was very uh, surprised uh, that Justin Shorter made this decision. It sounded like he wasn't really expecting it or in the loop on it and for someone who prides himself as kind of the you know the, the flag bearer uh, the leader of that receiver room uh not going to say that he sounded hurt but he certainly st- sounded a bit stunned here uh, a few weeks removed from Justin Shorter actually making this decision that's certainly an eye-opener I mean for somebody like KJ who has his hand in so many you know cookie jars and and to be, for him to be a leader of that uh, wide receiver room uh, you know, for, for for somebody to turn around and say, okay, I'm done. Uh, maybe I'm not getting the ball enough. Maybe something else is is here at play. I mean, you like to think that you would see the warning signs coming, but they haven't. Um, in, in terms of his transfer, it doesn't seem like it was something that was completely thought out. The the process after transferring was completely thought out. We haven't seen him pop up on any visits. A few schools have popped up, uh, Florida being one of them. Um, but but really no, no real action on that so far. So we'll see what happens with, with Shorter. But yeah, I think uh, them being surprised and caught off guard, you can usually see it coming. I mean, you can see people that are disgruntled or, or not happy with their role and all that kind of stuff. You can see that coming. Uh, Shorter, I think it's just his personality to be quiet, to, to sort of be reserved in that aspect. And that's why some of them didn't see it coming. 
And Jahan Dotson, you know, he didn't hold back. He, he said it was, uh, you know, pretty, pretty devastating, pretty difficult to deal with. And as I said, I remember those two on the camp circuit together. Uh, and, and, you know, they were talking about, you know, each other very highly and, and ultimately maybe playing together. And, you know, it's tough to, you know, to lose someone like that. And you know, we don't know if Shorter will be back. But again, not the vibes I was picking up there. Um, last year at this time, Justin Shorter was viewed as an ascending player coming off of a redshirt season during bowl preparation. Very important. In fact, Trace McSorley pointed to him as the top, you know, one of the top performers among that freshman class I asked the question today to James Franklin who is showing they've pushed past that freshman wall he calls he calls it the freshman funk and it and is finishing things off strong and, and giving you a good indication that it's going to be maybe a springboard towards spring practice I know he hates these questions because he always feels like he's going to leave out a name or two but he gave five names here and, and, I'll, and I'll give them to our listeners Caden Wallace at offensive tackle Brenton Strange at tight end, Lance Dixon at linebacker, Tyler Rudolph at safety, and Daquan Hardy at cornerback. To me, a couple names that jump off there for obvious reasons, Caden Wallace, Lance Dixon were both on track uh, to be guys who burned their red shirt. That changed midseason. They scaled back and they were kept within that four-game threshold. And then Tyler Rudolph. We've talked about this before. Safety's a spot where you view, you know, you don't see the kind of depth and and the incoming talent necessarily that you do at cornerback uh, over the last couple of cycles you've had some departures there at safety you're going to lose a senior but but I think it's big to hear that Tyler Rudolph is finishing off his freshman year in a good spot they seemed happy with him later in the season he got to play on some special teams cover some kicks and and he's going to have an opportunity with Garrett Taylor out of there he's going to have an opportunity to to compete and just slide into that too deep and we'll see what happens with that um the, the couple of uh, the, the one guy that he mentioned that I thought was really interesting Caden Wallace of course he's playing tackle right now but I think it's one of the more uh, intriguing storylines of the offseason because you've got a, a left guard spot open Caden as we we have uh, forecasted for years is more of a natural interior guy so do you slide him over to left guard to to compete with Mike Miranda do you leave him out at tackle and move Anthony Wigan over there uh, so I think when you're establishing a two deep and you're trying to get those 10 guys um, you know you're kind of playing around so I can see Wigan and Wallace where they end up in spring could be you know completely different than where they're at right now so interested to see where Wallace uh, you know continues to grow uh, this is a guy they were very high on coming into the season they thought he would compete and be that fourth tackle maybe play as much as Des Holmes did this year which is kind of getting into every game and and, and being a factor for a series or two or something like that but not not being a full-time guy but a guy that they could see enough from they ended up just playing him on field goal team, extra point, realized that wasn't worth uh, losing the year, so they pulled that red shirt back on him. So really interested to see where Caden Wallace goes from there. Lance Dixon's a guy that's got an opportunity. Of course, Cam Brown's out with the Sam. Jan Johnson's out with the Mike, so you've got some shuffling in there. There's some some open spots in the two deep where he can go in. And, of course, we talked about it. Curtis Jacobs signed this week. Uh, Zaire, uh, Zariah Fisher uh, and Tyler Elsden signed this week as well. You've got Brandon Smith that redshirted. So a lot of talented linebackers in there. So you don't want to you don't want to miss a step in that linebacker room. So be interesting to see how these guys are, are tracking through bowl practice. They're going to get an opportunity. Um, you know, it, it's one of those things where you really don't know what level these guys are on. I mean, you you play them on scout team all year. You hear some good things. We heard great things about the defensive line all year. Smith Vilbert's a guy that's been pointed out as a as having a good bowl practice so far. But you don't really know what level these guys are until they're playing full speed against those uh, with and against those other varsity guys 
And by the way, Daquan Hardy, who was, you know, almost an afterthought last year because he got that offer within 24 hours of the signing period. He was a very late addition to the class to hear him mention it. And by the way, I forgot one here. Joey Porter Jr. also mentioned by James Franklin. So this cornerback group with Hardy and Porter finishing up strong. Obviously, we've seen a lot more of Porter than we have of Hardy. But then uh, along with Marquise Wilson and Keaton Ellis, and you really like what they got going on in that room underneath Terry Smith's direction. We're going to talk a little bit more about signing day. You'll hear from Barton Simmons, who is the director of scouting at 24-7 Sports, breaking down this Penn State class. But for the moment, a quick word from our sponsors. It's the NFL offseason, but on Pick 6, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, the football season never stops. Host Will Brinson, John Breach, and Tyler Sullivan are joined by analysts like Brady Quinn, Leslie Ducible, Katie Mox, and R.J. White to keep you in the loop on everything happening around the league. Whether it's free agents signing with new teams, the all-important NFL draft, or schedule release day, Pick 6 has you covered. As the face of the league changes with every team move and player pickup this spring, Pick 6 is a must Listen, download, and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and anywhere podcasts are found. Penn State, by lunchtime on Wednesday, signed all 27 players. Well, they had signed them earlier than that, but we were they were announced all by lunchtime. And neat and tidy signing day uh, that, that rarely has been seen, not just in Happy Valley, but you know this is something that we're just not used to seeing a couple months before February, and a team may be all the way done. We'll talk about if they're complete or not. Uh, again, we went position by position with this class on our last episode. We're not going to rehash that all over again, but uh, if you missed it, go check that out. Get a better understanding of some of these guys. But Sean, I thought there were several storylines worth worth focusing on coming out of this. Uh, we had a chance to speak not only with James Franklin, but also with the recruiting coordinators. It's Terry Smith on the defensive side of the football. As I said earlier here, it's Tyler Bowen on offense. And to me, uh, one, one kind of question mark we had was where was Zariah Fisher going to fit in in this defense in 2020? We now have an answer. They plan on playing him at linebacker. Franklin said even though he's been at 260 pounds, right now he's about 6'3", 255. Uh, and, and Franklin says, you know, you look at that size and you may see a guy who needs to transition to defensive end or maybe just a guy who's really relegated to, to being a two-down middle linebacker. But he says, then you watch the film and you'll hear Barton Simmons echo this later in the conversation with him and, and his lateral abilities and his and his downfield pass coverage for a player that size is phenomenal. They think they got a, a, a big-time player here. They felt like that before he made a big jump, and Terry Smith actually mentioned you know, going up 600 spots or whatever it was in the 24-7 sports rankings. You know, They were high on this guy from the get. And, and Terry Smith also said something that I've heard on this podcast before. Back in August, leading up to his decision, before he postponed it to September, he was going to Michigan State, and that is from Terry Smith. That was pretty clear when it happened, too. And, uh, yeah, that's a, a good delay for Penn State to get Zariah Fisher back into the class. You're right. Uh, he's, he's slated to start his career at linebacker, put me in the in the, in the crowd that, you know, doesn't think he ends up there. But still, he's athletic enough to do so. He's got some ball skills. He can play a little bit. I mean, he's he's a big kid. I mean, he's like one of those Bama linebackers. It's about 6'3", 260. Uh, you stuff him in the middle there and see what see what he can do. So excited to see how uh, Zariah Fisher progresses. Um, and, and you're right. This is one that Penn State really, at the time, you know, was struggling to gather momentum and, and get some things done and finish. And you don't want to lose an in-state kid, especially to a, a Big Ten East rival that isn't Michigan or, Mich- or Michigan or Ohio State. So um, Fisher is one of those guys who goes to Michigan State and he's 6'3", 260. And all of a sudden they put him at defensive end and he gets 12 sacks in a year. You know, he's one of those guys that you could see as a multi-year starter in the Big Ten and you don't want those guys to get away. So securing Zariah Fisher is big. I asked James Franklin about uh, Curtis Jacobs and Ty 
Tyler Elston as linebackers. He quickly corrected me to let me know that Zariah Fisher uh, was a linebacker, <laughs> even though you know some would say that they expect him to be a defensive end eventually. Um, but uh, no, it's a it's a versatile guy that you can plug into your class. Anytime you get a great football player, um, you got an opportunity to uh, to improve your roster uh, from one to eighty five. I mean, it's a it's it's a good pickup for Penn State, and he's certainly on the rise right now. And going by the twenty four seven sports rankings, Penn State signed three four star linebackers. Still think there's a chance, and Barton will tell you this again later on that Curtis Jacobs does earn his way in a five star status. He's got a big All American game uh, coming up next month where he'll have a chance to be with the best of his peers and, and maybe separate himself a little bit but uh terry smith did compare curtis jacobs to a micah parsons presence not just because of his defensive versatility he says because of his mindset and he went into kind of a greater detail on this and it's a conversation that you and i have had on the show about guys when they get to campus who they become and and terry smith says there's a lot of good players they've signed over the years but there is an elite mentality that some come equipped with, like a Micah Parsons, he said, like a Saquon Barkley, like an Etor Gross Matos, and he thinks Curtis Jacobs has that, where that really solves a lot of problems that maybe a normal freshman will run into on that transition from high school, where they just are equipped with that elite mindset, where they think, I don't care what level of football I'm playing, I'm going to get on the football field, and I'm going to be the one of the best out there. Even if they're not necessarily there yet in their progression, they believe that, and it certainly seems like they feel like they have another guy who carries that kind of outlook in Curtis Jacobs. Plus, you have the opportunity for for him to answer great to elite questions before he gets to Penn State, so he'll be used to it when he gets there. So, yeah, I mean, I'm not going to spend too much time on Jacobs. Love him as a prospect. Really interested to see how he does down at Under Armour, playing in the system. Um, you know, it, it, it's so tough to evaluate linebackers at that point, but still, you got him playing in a linebacker system where right now, you know, he's the best player in the field because you can put him at safety, you can put him at linebacker, you can rush him off the edge, you can do pretty much anything. You know, when you ask him to do one thing, how is he going to to come along and progress? So, uh, be interesting to see that. Uh, and and then he's going to join a talented group of linebackers. I mean, he's going to spend one year uh, likely with Micah Parsons, but then you've got uh, you know Brandon Smith that's going through there. Lance Dixon was a five star by twenty four seven last year, so you've got uh, a ton of talent in that room. Just keep adding to it. Tyler Elston can do some things. They're you know more excited about his athleticism than I think people will, will, will realize. Ran a really good shuttle uh, for them at camp. Moved really well. Did the same thing at WVU. So um, it's going to be interesting to see how these uh, this linebacker group progresses over the next couple of years because Penn State, frankly, doesn't play. I mean, this, this is not a typical 4-3. I mean, you, there are three linebackers out there, a bunch, but you're really only leaning on two for the most part. So be interesting to see how those numbers work out. But they're just don't offend. I mean, that that's the one spot. I mean, you, you look back a couple of years ago, and Penn State was killing themselves at linebacker recruiting. I mean, there's nothing going on. I think uh, they signed one linebacker, I think, two years in a row, something along those lines. They're lucky to get some of the the, the productivity that they, they did get. I mean, I mean, Brandon Bell, I love him as a player. You did not expect him to have as productive his career as he did, and they're lucky that he did. So um, this is an opportunity. I mean, five years ago is, is night and day compared to where they're at at linebacker right now. A very healthy situation for the linebacker room. You can say the same thing about J1 Sider's group in the running back room. Uh, Ricky Slade, Devin Ford, Noah Kane, Journey Brown. Perhaps you've heard of them and the rotation that took place this year. All of them eligible to come back in 2020. And until we're told otherwise, that's what we are anticipating. But there's going to be more competition. And Keziah Holmes, one thing that stood out to me during Penn State's signing day broadcast that they did uh, streaming on Facebook, uh, I watched the J1 Sider interview and and was kind of taking some notes on what he was saying about Keziah Holmes. Uh, 
he says he thinks Kazai Holmes is going to become a household name in Happy Valley. We've talked about the speed. I think he was at a 4-4-1 in the 40-yard dash. And and the production jumps off the page from his upperclassman career, especially as a senior. Another guy Barton will be gushing about when you hear this interview. Uh, but, but Sean, very clearly, they are. And, and I asked this question of Franklin. How do you find, you know, how do you convince running back prospects at this point, much less them when they live 1,200 miles away or whatever, come up here, we have four guys. They've all played college football. They had a bunch of recruiting accolades too, but come up here and fight for a job. And I think it takes a certain kind of prospect, a certain kind of staff. But James Franklin brought up something very interesting. He said, that's kind of maybe the the, the approach now. The Miles Sanders models is what he said, what he called it. And he talked about this leading up to the draft for Miles Sanders and saying, you know, he has one year of, of legitimate starting running back wear and tear in his body, whereas you've got players uh, at, at some programs, and by the time they get through three or four years at this level, I mean, they've got, you know, maybe they, maybe they have 5,000, 4,000 rushing yards, but they have a bunch of hits on their body. And, and you know, what does that mean for their NFL fortunes at the start and, and to prolong them? And so, you know, he seems to think this is a model that, that college football, it works. We've seen it at Alabama. We've seen it at Georgia where guys come, they push, maybe they play a little bit early. Maybe they play a lot early, but they've gotten some players who buy into this one. Kevon Lee is the other we mentioned, because Zai Holmes is coming in as an early enrollee. We know what that did last year for Noah Kane and you know, watch out for this kid. It's, it's really fascinating because you want to find those kids with this mindset. And I think that's what people who follow recruiting from, from a distance don't realize is that all these kids think they're going to the NFL. And that's not that's in not three years. That's not a hopeful thing. That's like I'm the best player in this area, usually in this little bubble that I'm uh, I'm in. But I'm I'm going to make it to the NFL. I'm going to be better than this guy. So you have to find that guy that that's willing to go in. And it, it it's like. It's like going to Bama. I mean, it's like all these guys. You're asking why they would sign a three-star running back. Uh, you know, maybe maybe like a Josh Jacobs. Why why he would even try to go to to Alabama when he's got all these backs in front of him? Well, he thinks he's better than them, and there's nothing wrong with that. And some of these kids are right. Most of them aren't. But uh, it's it, it's fascinating to to sit back and and we're gonna parse through these kids and say, oh, he's a he's an 89 three-star or he's a 94 star. So we understand there's limitations to his game. You know, this kid is probably the best player in his county. You know, some of these best players in their state. And, you know, it's it's one of those things with the mindset. They think they can play in the NFL. And and frankly, those are the kids that you want. You want those kids that, that have the goal of being three and out and going to the NFL. Well, Sean, we got what? Izzard, uh, I'm sorry, not Izzard, Keziah Holmes, how much often, how often am I going to say Keziah, Izzard, Keziah Holmes over the next three or four years? Uh, Holmes, you got Ford, you got Slade, all those guys, you know, and Lee, four-star guys, got five-star guys, you know, top 100 overall prospects, and who do we think is going to enter 2020 as the top of the totem pole guy? The three-star kid, you know, from one of those small bubbles where he dominated Journey Brown, so you never know how it's going to shape out for these players. Um, moving ahead here a little bit, you know, it's going to be fun to follow Tyler Warren. We've mentioned him as the mystery guy. We've talked about him quite a bit. Barton has a lot to say about him as well. Uh, but, you know, a lot of people's faces lit up. Uh, Pat Fryer moves this afternoon. Uh, Tyler Bowen on Wednesday when we mentioned uh, Tyler Warren, you know, they talk about his abilities on the basketball court, just throwing down these vicious dunks. 
Uh, Bowen says he, he throws about mid nineties and he's a lefty. He said, fortunately he can't control his curveball right now. Otherwise maybe they wouldn't be getting him on campus and he'd be going off to play professional baseball. But, uh, it, it he's a different body type. He's a bigger kid, but it's giving me some flashbacks back to covering Mike Kosicki coming out of high school, a kid who could just jump out of the building or wasn't, you know, an all state volleyball player, an all state basketball player, and just a, a player who was putting it together. He was a wide receiver, hadn't had any experience as a true tight end. Some, yeah, that in that regard, it kind of takes me back to, to covering Mike when he was coming out of his high school career. And the thing about Mike is Mike was 215 pounds at that mm-hmm. point, and he looked skinny. I mean, he looked skinny. Ty- Tyler Warren's 235, 240 pounds. And that's one thing James Franklin talked about on Wednesday is you're growing these guys, these tight ends that are 6'5 and a half, 6'6", six, six, um, that, that have the size to play the Y with your hand in the ground as a traditional tight end. And then all of a sudden you can split them out and they can do some special things. So like I said before, I wouldn't be surprised if Tyler Warren has a very productive career at Penn State. He's going to be, you know, beside Theo Johnson all the way Two tremendous. I mean, I, I haven't done a, a, I guess a survey of, of tight end classes in the country, but it's got to be as good as any tight end class in the country. Well, the wide receiver class is pretty good too. Five wide receivers coming on board, and the two guys that we have, you know, hammered home as as me and Sean think, you know, really have the ability to maybe come here and play a lot. I think Norvell Black could do it too at the junior college level because of the experience there, and Barton's high on him. But I think Parker Washington, Keandre Lambert, the excitement we heard uh, from guys about those particular players, you know, kind of lend more credence to the thought that if Keandre Lambert can come in. Uh, get his strength going and, and build up in that regard. He's going to have an opportunity to run a lot of routes in the field. Parker Washington will come in later uh, next next offseason. You're going to get Lambert on campus in a few weeks. But Washington is a guy, I think it was Franklin, said he's like a vacuum. Wherever the ball is, seems to make that catch. And Jared Parker breaking this kid down was so psyched. I mean, Parker's always an amped up individual. But when he got into Parker Washington, it was just a different gear, and it, it was a priority for him. And I think he felt the same way about Lambert, a guy that he had recruited for uh, back at Duke. Um, but, but again, those two guys, I think that they, that they topped that list of that five, those five wide receivers. Um, and again, someone or some people out of this group are going to need to make an impact. If they don't in 2020, this offense could be in trouble. Probably not going to have Justin Shorter. K.J. Hamler, who knows on that? Who you know, Transfer portal, is someone going to maybe take a look there? I don't know what the group's going to look like, and I think you know there is a very open door for for Lambert, for Washington, maybe Norville Black to come in and claim a spot. I, I don't want to discount the other players because Jaden Dotton is going to be on campus in January as well. Malik Mega is just a, a freak talent, but I think again, hammering home this point, those two are the two that that I'm going to be watching very closely, and and we'll get a, a, an early look at Lambert. And I asked some of the recruiting staff, and they made uh, Eric Thatcher and and Terrell Smith and Charles Wal- uh, Walker available to us um, for the first time, first opportunity to get to talk to some of these guys. I said, who are we not talking about enough in this class? And I believe it was Terrell Smith. He said, Keandre Lambert. And I'm thinking to myself, this is the number 22 receiver in the country, number 132 overall by 24-7 sports. You know, somebody's going to know some, but he's right. I mean, we're, we're probably not talking about Keandre Lambert enough. And now he's going to he's gonna come in in January. He's going to have to get stronger. He's going to have to put on some weight. But physically, I mean, he's, he's right up there with some of the elite talents in this class in terms of testing numbers. He's got the best shuttle in the country. So really interested to see how Keandre Lambert 
uh, assimilates in his first spring because I think he can play right away. I think Parker Washington even coming in in the summer, and that's one thing James Franklin's uh, said on Wednesday, is they're stressing for some of these guys to get here for the first summer session, even if they can't get here in January, gives them a little bit more time to get on campus, to get situated, and, and to start competing. So those two, in my mind, clearly at the top uh, of the ones that can make any early impact. But yeah, you've got an opportunity to, uh, to, to replenish those wide receiver ranks, and that's something, just looking at the depth chart today, that's, looking, that's something that they desperately need. You can hear we like those wide receivers. You can hear we like those tight ends. You can hear we like the running backs. No one should feel sorry for this offensive coordinator, whoever gets this job, because the cupboard is not bare by any means in what they're going to inherit. Uh, they're going to also have a new quarterback on campus, Micah Bowens, a guy who, who Franklin was quick to point out. You know, they understand that the one thing, one thing that he certainly does not check the box off is is his size. Uh, you know, being he's not a six foot three player, um, and and you know, both the quarterbacks they signed last year aren't huge guys, especially t- uh, Taquan Roberson. But I think Bowens is even a bit smaller than them. So uh, than Roberson, but Bowens, what he says, he thinks Bowens sees some of Trace McSorley in himself, a guy who you know isn't doesn't fit the mold from a f- physique standpoint, but a guy who won a lot of games at the high school level. He did it with the program Bishop Gorman, where uh, you know it's not a normal program. They're getting on planes to go to games all season long. Uh, he was preceded by two Power Five quarterbacks in that program. The spotlight is always on. So you know we've been pretty candid and in, in, in not declaring Micah Bowens as you know the second coming uh, of, of Justin Fields at, at Penn State and the guy who's going to come in and just overwhelm the room but I, I think you know James Franklin you know brings up some stuff they liked about him they, they, they seem to be wanting to do some work on his throwing motion uh, a little elongated and Tyler Bowen said the same thing there but you know you want to talk about someone that we're not talking about a Penn State quarterback signee that you know has gotten very little coverage over the course of this recruiting calendar year. And that's fair. And that's fair. And he's he's not, uh, I don't believe he's going to have the opportunity to come in. I just had the early enrollees pulled up and then I just uh, closed it. Um, so, you know, it's, it, and he's not going to be a factor in the, in the quarterback job, at least in year one, probably in year two as well. So uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see what kind of development he has. You're right. He doesn't have the size. Um, you know, Trace McSorley obviously proved that you can, you can do it at that size, but uh, you know, Trace is a special player. And uh, here's the thing. We talk about Micah Bowens and and that rant that I just went on about everybody thinking that they belong here and everybody thinking they can play in the NFL. Micah Bowens thinks so too. Oh, there's no doubt about it. And and we do plan to have Micah Bowens on the podcast. I hate making promises ahead of time in case things fall through, but I think we are going to have him on very soon. And and it's going to be an interesting conversation. I'm curious to hear a lot about him because um, it seems like a very mature young kid. And as I said, coming from a program like Bishop Foreman, playing that position, it is not a normal prep football experience. Uh, Sean, you mentioned those early enrollees. There's going to be 11 of them. And and it looks like you've got them in front of you now. So that matches the number we saw last year for scholarship additions. Very clearly, it helped out a lot of these players, whether it was Keaton Ellis, Brandon Smith, Noah Kane, guys who got on the field and made an impact and burned their red shirts and got to be on the field for spring practice and go through some tough times and come out the other side. Uh, you know, you want to reveal the list, like go on ahead. Yeah. And by the way, check out our commit list on 24 seven sports. There's a little clock beside these guys names, which means they're early enrollees. You got both Johnson's, of course, Theo and, and Joseph at cornerback, Enzo Jennings, Keandre Lambert Smith, who's going by Keandre Lambert Smith, according to the official uh, releases, Kaziah Holmes, Cole Brevard, 
Tyler Elsden, Bryce Mostella, Fatorma Mulba, Nick Dawkins, and Jaden Dotton. So we'll see how many early impact guys they have from that class. A couple jump out at me, of course. Uh, both Johnsons, I think, have an opportunity. I mean, Penn State showed that they'll play a true freshman cornerback. Joseph Johnson's got a lot uh, that he presents uh, talent-wise and, and physically, so I'm interested to see that. Keandre Lambert-Smith, who we just talked about. Keziah Holmes, does he work his way? You know, is, is he a possible slot guy? I mean, we'll, we'll see what happens. There's a lot of, a lot of options here, and uh, I think these guys, some of them can, can – really benefit from that extra six months on campus. I think I'll call my shot right now and say the guy who looks the most different from January to when they get to the field in August is going to be Bryce Mostella, just because the frame he's working with. I I, I think he's, I, I don't think he's going to be ready to play, but I think physically when we see him compared to maybe the, when we, when he gets on campus in January and we get in the weight room for that, uh, the open session, uh, then when we see him in August, I think he, he's going to be a guy who, who maybe packs on a significant amount of weight and just looks like a different kind of player. And then, yeah, you talk about guys who can come in and play right away with whoever the offensive coordinator is big time opportunity for Lambert Smith uh for Jaden Dotton for Kaziah Holmes you know all the names you just mentioned of course Theo Johnson so uh we'll we'll see what it looks like it's gonna come up here real fast and all of a sudden we'll be seeing pictures of them on campus and, and they'll be part of the process and we won't be able to interview them again for a while so that's how that all works out now Sean we were fortunate enough to get uh, actually before we get to Barton Simmons 2020 class, 27 guys on board. It's already the biggest in Franklin's tenure. Um, we've gone over that, gone over the players. Is it complete? That's the question that that you come away from. You know, you get through the first day of the signing period, the first few hours, and you got 27 guys on board. We had Andy Frank, the director of player personnel. We had James Franklin uh, speaking on the subject, and and neither seems quite sure. They're they're waiting for NFL draft decisions. I think you still want to see what happens with the transfer portal. You've got until February. There's no doubt they have a board put together of potential targets, but how much wiggle room where will they have? Maybe there was a name out there. Fadil Diggs was a guy you were kind of keeping tabs on on Wednesday. But um, where do you kind of see this playing out? Because it is just a strange situation for us to be sitting here a week out of a a bowl game, a week out of Christmas and thinking, well, uh, time to close up shop and focus on 2021. And I think they'd be happy if they were closed up shop. But really, you can't do that. I mean, you can't afford to do that because... All, often uh, these guys pop up after January 1st, but what they're going to do, they're going to reshuffle that deck. They're going to look through and, and start start fresh, see if there's a guy that's that's worth using a scholarship on. They led up to the uh, to signing day. Fadil Diggs out of South Jersey, who's a longtime target, been committed to Texas A&M for a long time, you know, kind of got a little cold feet right before signing day, which is what happens. I mean, distance usually becomes a bigger factor in the, the weeks leading up to signing day. So Penn State sent him a letter of intent. Uh, there was a couple other schools in there, Maryland, Florida, a couple other uh, places that were that were still involved. He decided to stick with the Aggies. So, I mean, that's, that's a plus-plus talent. I mean, that's one of your plan A guys from all the way back at this time last year. So um, so that that's one thing. Then do you see some of the guys? So you've gone around to schools for the last couple of weeks in December. You've uh, checked in with these prospects where, you know, you're, you're not ready to offer them a scholarship. Maybe you want to see a little bit more. You want to see them play basketball. You want to see the, uh, how their tape, uh, looks. You want to see how other schools fill up. And if you need to press for these guys and you say, Hey, we don't have a spot right now, but we're going to come back in January. We'll talk about it. We'll see what happens. It's definitely a real possibility. Now that's probably a number that's probably five to 10 guys, but you know, you could very well go, you, you very well see this class ending at 27 or, you know, some of these guys, the stock goes through the roof. I mean, it's, it, it's crazy how it happens. I mean, they're not much of a better prospect in January than they are in December, but supply and demand being what it is, here you've got guys, uh, you know, they're just going to see an enormous boom. And I'm, I'm kind of surprised that more, you know, that are on that line don't wait. 
excuse me, we saw a guy um, in uh, in New England this week, Ja Joyner, who was committed to Boston College, but you know some schools started coming around. We rate we just rate him as a four star on twenty four seven Sports. Penn State started poking around. Some other schools started poking around. He got on an official visit to Minnesota. Thought he was going to sign in February. All of a sudden, he shuts it down. Signs with uh, with Minnesota. So that's how things can change so quickly at this time of year. Um, it's the dead period right now. So Penn State is is no, nobody's on the road. Nobody's taking visits. Nobody's doing anything like that. So once they hit the ground running in January, we're going to see a couple of spots. And, and, and there's a couple of kids I have on my mind. I don't have them in front of me, but a couple of kids. And I think defensive end is a spot they're going to look at. They could use another corner. They could use another athletic defensive back. They'll see what's out there, and then they'll go from there. Yeah, well, so we'll we'll stay on that on lines twenty four seven, no doubt about it. That'll be February fifth, the the national signing day that that we've known for so many years. That is now you know kind of the dessert after the main course. And uh, the last couple of years, just based on the limited track record that we do have with Penn State in the early signing period, uh, they signed four players after uh, after December last year. They signed one player after December in two thousand eighteen. That was Rashid Walker, now the starting left tackle. And of course, one other thing, just something to throw out there, keep under your hat. Uh, the last two years they had a secret signee that took place during the early signing window that was announced then Jason Oway in January when he was down in Orlando for the All-American game and then Devon Ellis last January when he was out at the Polynesian Bowl so just something to maybe just think over a little bit not, not promising anything and and, and the, I'm so glad there's no Polynesian Bowl uh, commitments this year <laughs> regarding Penn State I don't need to be up till two o'clock waiting for Devon Ellis so Pretty happy about that one, but yeah, that's it, it's a crazy time of year, and you, and you see guys, and, and you don't mean to rip on kids by saying this, but you see guys that really shouldn't get some of the offers that they're getting because they wait around and they go for it. But all power to them; they're moving up the chain, and they 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 think they can play anywhere. So it seems to be the theme of today. Well, we will move ahead now because we've got Barton Simmons and Sean and I are both excited to have him on this episode. He spent a lot of time breaking down this class and coming off of a busy day for himself. Uh, So here's that conversation with Barton. I think you're going to learn a little bit more about this group from him. As promised, we've got Barton Simmons on with us, the director of scouting at 24-7 Sports. Uh, Hopefully you caught his National Signing Day appearance on the 24-7 Sports show yesterday on CBS uh, HQ. That was a great show, Barton. You had Coach Franklin on there. Um, Obviously, you weren't alone in the production. Steve Wiltfong, Brady Quinn. Um, What was that experience like? I mean, coming out of it here, I know it was the second annual one. Hopefully it's something that that 24-7 Sports and yourself can continue to do. Yeah, I, I thought it was great. You know, we enjoyed it. They CBS did a really good job with it. I felt like, you know, we wanted to be uh, very reactive to the news as opposed to just sort of taking the, the you know, 30,000-foot view and looking at uh, class rankings all day long and overviews of who the five stars are. Like, we really wanted to get, a, you know, to, to be about the day and, and what was going on during the day and, and all the – freneticism that is associated with it and I think we were able to kind of do that a little bit and 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 uh kind of keep people informed on what was actually happening so it was fun I thought I thought it went well my favorite feature may have been uh had to be Steve Wolfong with the flip watch that was uh that was interesting (laughs) yeah exactly Uh, Steve's all over it you're all over it Barton you had coach Franklin on towards the tail end of that show uh what stands out to you about what he had to say and and additionally you know initial takeaways from that 30,000 foot view to start of this uh Penn State recruiting class yeah I mean uh, coach Franklin's always great um in those sort of interactions I think he does a good job of being uh giving honest answers um 
and 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 thoughtful answers. And, and I think, uh, you know, this class is is another really good class. I mean, I, I kind of talked to him about the linebackers and how impressed I am with the linebacker group, in particular Curtis Jacobs uh, and and Zariah Fisher, but also and and he mentioned um, Tyler Elsden as well as a guy that you know has really had a a strong senior year and and uh, a guy that they're really excited about as well and and then you know the other thing that we really touched on and I was I was anxious to to hear from him about was just sort of the the way they've they've turned to just absolute mass on the particularly on the offensive line but you could make a case it's it's, it's everywhere uh, just trying to get bigger longer um, and and heftier and and I think you know Coach Franklin was was good about give an insight about how, look, it's, it's really about trying to find guys that are ready to play and, and, and not, you know, not hoping someone develops into a, an offensive lineman you can lean on late. You know, if injuries start hitting, you, you actually have the, the bodies to get in there and play in the meaningful games. And um, I think that that's, that's something that's always important to remember when, you know, when you're, say, comparing our rankings to, to – uh, recruit to actual to actually building out the classes you know we're we're, we're raking guys individually and and sort of looking at projections and who can hit and who has high ceilings who has low ceilings but ultimately when you're building a roster it's about you know it's it's less about kind of hey each individual guy's projectability to the nfl it can be just about building out uh body types that give you a chance to to look like you want to look and play like you want to play and and have guys and have depth of, of guys that you don't miss on many. So this feels like a class where there's not going to be a lot of misses, um, and it feels like a class that's got pretty good depth to it. You mentioned the, the big guys in this group. The biggest of them, they did throw a lot of numbers at that group on both sides, five offensive linemen, a six defensive linemen. Um, you mentioned this, and, and you've written it pretty extensively, and, and so have others on the site, about how college football is trending when you look at who's getting drafted high at the offensive tackle position. You know, it's guys who are maybe 250, 260 pounds when they're a high school junior, high school senior. Penn State goes in a different direction. A lot of these guys are hovering around 300 pounds. They've got one, Golden Ochumba, who, who was at 370 pounds just about a year ago. He's down to 320 now. But uh, is that a little bit counterintuitive in some ways to the to the kind of analytical approach that we've seen Penn State really adopt in a lot of ways and strategize and what they do with recruiting well see I've, I've, I've thought a lot about this because you know Penn State's not the like Penn State is, is certainly a staff that I think does a really good job in, in their evaluations and um, and they I think are are not just sort of chasing stars and that sort of stuff and you know I think Tennessee's the same way I, I, I'm impressed with the way they do things and they're recruiting the same kind of offense alignment um, just massive dudes and uh, and I think one of the reasons that one of the important distinctions to make is again, you know, we're ultimately if you're a four-star kid for for 24/7 sports, you're a guy that we we think is going to play in the NFL, and that doesn't mean that if you're not a four-star kid, we don't think you will. It's just it, it's sort of levels of of expectation. It's it's who are the most likely, and 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 um, you know, three stars maybe we feel like are less likely, but still have a shot. And I think it's important to remember that that a you know a great offensive line can be built of not a lot of NFL guys. It can be built around um, a, a bunch of, you know, it's it's ultimately an offensive line is, is like one unit that, that has to work and operate together and has to be able to institute your game plan and has to, and, and 
and has to set the tone in a lot of ways of a football game. And so I think what I heard from Coach Franklin when I talked about that, because I was sort of wanted to hear his answer on that too, was you know they, they don't want to have guys on their roster at offensive line that they can't play. Uh, they they want to have guys that provide depth and um, and where they can they can uh, sort of throw bodies at, at at the game in a lot of ways. And if you were trying to recruit a bunch of future first round draft picks at offensive line by recruiting a bunch of two hundred sixty pounders, you're probably going to get a couple really good players out of there. But you might have two or three that never pan out, that never get big enough, that never get strong enough. Or when they do, maybe even more specifically. They're, they're two or three years into the program. Um, you know, it's great for us to hit on a five-star who is a 260-pounder coming out of high school. And, uh, you know, that that's that sort of reflects well on us at the end of the day when he goes drafted in the first round. But if he's a redshirt junior and has only played one year, how much value did you really get out of him as a program? So I, I think uh, it's a there's a balance, and it's just philosophical, and how do you do things? And I think Penn State seems to be taking the approach of, look, we want to uh, get big, physical, get big, and and get guys that can come in ready for the the physicality of the Big Ten. There's definitely a lot of tr- talk about the trio of linebackers they signed, Barton. Uh, one thing that Zariah Fisher, Curtis Jacobs, and Tyler Elson have in common, aside from being future Nittany Lions teammates, is they were all significant risers in one way or another during their senior seasons in 24-7 sports rankings. And we'll start at the top of this list. He's, he's right on that bubble, a high four-star, the bottom of that five-star group, Curtis Jacobs. Um, I'd love to hear your personal opinion on him. I know you were very high specifically on the two linebackers they brought in last year, Lance Dixon, Brandon Smith, who were respectively the top outside and inside linebacker prospects in 24 sports, 24 seven sports, 2019 rankings. Where is Curtis Jacobs in comparison to those guys? And, and maybe a Micah Parsons the year before. Uh, I'll put, I'll keep Micah Parsons on a separate tier from this crowd. Uh, but I think Curtis Jacobs could potentially to me be on the, the, the same sort of tier of those other guys. Uh, I, I want to see him in the all American game. I want to see him compete up close and, um, and, and just sort of see how he takes to that setting. Uh, ultimately when you're splitting hairs, that's a good setting to, to parse things out. But one of the, I mean, what I love about Curtis and, and what I really liked about him, because ultimately I look at the linebacker position as an athlete these days, more than it is sort of, you athlete first, linebacker second, in a way, because that's what the game is. It's You have to be more versatile. You have to be more athletic. You have to be able to play in space. Bulk, size, mass is, is I think, less of a prerequisite for that position. And I think athleticism is, is actually now the prerequisite. And then when you watch Curtis Jacobs, not, and I'm this is before senior season, you know, he plays you know junior. He's out there playing split out wide, catching passes at receiver. He's outstanding on the basketball court the body, the 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 body control the movement skills the fluidity all these things athletically that he's got were what really excited me about him as a linebacker prospect and what was so encouraging about his senior film is the the linebacker play was was really exciting as a linebacker prospect like hit, the way he was a striker the way he's running through contact um you know hitting hitting holes and 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 finding running lanes and uh, tracking guys down with the right tackling angles and things like that, like all these instinctive things and, and demeanor things at the linebacker position that you like to see uh, were there. And so now you're talking about 
you know, where, how is, where's the arrow pointing? Like it, the, the trajectory seems really high. And so, um, so I, I'm really, ex- I was really excited about that, uh, as a from, in terms of just seeing your tape. And so I think it, that's why we moved him up in the rankings to sort of get him in striking distance of the five-star range so that we could have a chance for him to earn that. There's a lot of guys that we think are five-star candidates right now. And, uh, and I would include Curtis Jacobs and Curtis Jacobs in, in that group. I read some of your analysis uh, early earlier in the process on Zariah Fisher and how it's it's becoming more apparent that he he is capable of of staying in a stand up role at the at the college level. We found out yesterday that is exactly what Penn State wants to do with Zariah Fisher. I know he's listed in the uh, weak side defensive end category right now with twenty four seven Sports rankings. He's going to stick at linebacker to start in Happy Valley. What did you see that encouraged you to think that you know linebacker is something that that can stick for a guy who right now is six three two fifty five. Well, so the first time I watched his senior tape, I watched him assuming he was playing weak side. He'd be a defensive lineman because that's what we had him ranked at. So I just, I figured that he was ranked that way because he was being projected that way by Penn State or, or most colleges. And I, I thought, I mean, if you think about him in the terms in terms of a defensive lineman, the athleticism he showed, it's like eye popping to think about a defensive lineman doing those sort of things and. His, you know, his. I have not seen him in person, but the pictures I've seen of him look. He looks like he's got a really big frame, capable of being a defensive lineman. And so I, I got really excited about him in that role. Um, and when I found out he's being projected more as a, as a linebacker, I, I went back and sort of rewatched the tape and and um, changed, you know, shifted my the way my lens there and how I was viewing him and. I still really liked him, um, kind of in a different way. And, and I, I, I mean, for a guy like that, if all his film was was running downhill and and like a gap, b gap tackling, then I think you're you sort of think about him as an old school linebacker with limitations that is that that's not really built for today's game. But that's not what his film is. The fi- what he does best on film is the dropping into coverage, like showing soft hands. Uh, and it, as is as a pass defender, um, tracking guys down on the perimeter, playing in space, uh, flipping his hips. I mean, the, these sort of things that uh, would be you would expect to see on the six one, two hundred five pound linebackers film. He's doing it at two hundred fifty five pounds. So uh, I, I'm in, this is interesting to me that he's staying at linebacker, but I think he's capable of it. And he reminds me of um, of uh, the kid at Penn State now, who's the kid from Canada. Why am I blanking on his name? Jesse Lucetta. Jesse Lucetta. He, he reminds me of, of Jesse Lucetta, and, and I think better. I think almost a better version um, it, when, as I remember what Lucetta looked like in high school. So uh, that's, that's, that's going to be – he's going to be a fun one to reject. And I think one of the cool things about him is he can then – you can fire two bullets on him. I mean, put him at linebacker, but if, it, if, if he keeps on growing, if he – if he eats his way out of linebacker, if he lifts his way out of linebacker, then you still have that defensive line spot. You can play with him, and he's still really, you know, could be could be even better. If we can look over to the offensive backfield, uh, Penn State adding a couple four-star running back recruits out of Florida, Kevon Lee and Keziah Holmes. And, and man, the, the question around here is, has been this season, Barton, and you, you know this, 
how are they going to use all these running backs? You know, you had Ricky Slade, you know, kind of fall, fall down that depth uh, over the course of the year. Noah Kane make a move. Devin Ford's here already. And, and Journey Brown, who was the least highly rate, rated recruit out of all of them, finished best uh, when, you talk, when you look at this 2019 season. All those guys could be back. Then you factor in two more running back recruits. What does it say about Penn State, J1 Sider, to be able to convince these guys? And what does it say about these two running backs that, that they're all in despite the setting that awaits them in that running back room at Penn State? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's man, it's an impressive effort, especially getting those guys to come out of Florida. Um, it's, uh, it speaks to, I mean, I don't think, I don't think you could have done that 10 years ago, maybe not. Six. I don't know. I don't know when you could start doing this, but but now is 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 a little bit of a new era where running backs don't feel like they have to get 30 carries a game. Don't feel like they have to get 20. Like they they're they're okay getting 12 a game for a little bit and maybe building up to being the premier guy with in a in an 18 carry role as an upperclassman or something. So uh, that that's that speaks to I think the direction of of the position as much as anything. But it does also I think really speak to those guys. I mean, a it takes a, I think it takes a competitive kid to want to go up to state college from Florida and and fly over those SEC schools and 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 go to the Big Ten and uh, and go to a program like Penn State where James Franklin is sort of selling those guys on it's not going to be easy and we're going to coach you hard and and all that sort of stuff. I think it self selects a little bit some really good players and you know everything I've heard about Keziah Holmes is is he's he is a phenomenal from a character standpoint and, and competitive standpoint and. He was the kid I was really excited about at the running back position this class. I've not seen Kevon Lee as much. I'm, I'm, he don't have as much. He hadn't had as much film last time I checked, and I haven't seen him in person. So he's he's a little of an unknown to me. But Keziah Holmes, uh, senior tape was awesome. Like just just really really good. And um, we know how fast he is, and I think he's very versatile. And so uh, he's he's a little bit different. I mean, he's he's a little more like Journey Brown relative to some of the I feel like he's a little different than um than uh Devin Ford and and um Noah Kane and and he's a little and, and probably a little bit different even than, than Journey Brown so he adds a I think a, a unique element to the uh relative to the rest of the room Jay Wan Sider said on signing day he thinks Kazai Holmes is going to become a household name at Penn State so we'll see where that takes him this wide receiver group Barton this is a room that that compared to running back they need they need instant impact guys and they need it in 2020 Justin Shorter's in the transfer portal KJ Hamler could be on his way out to the NFL draft and it was just not a spot of great production this year they're bringing in an offensive coordinator that's going to be part of the conversation but the talent is too Keandre Lambert is the guy I've been very high on Parker Washington. Man, I mean, talk about great, great film. What we've seen of him, really impressive. Jaden Dotton, Malik Mega, a, a six foot four kid with four four two speed out of Canada, and then Norval Black out of the junior college route. I just threw all those names at you. Feel free to touch on any of them you'd like, because because I'm just curious. This is a a group that I feel like really needs to come in, and you need at least two of these guys to be on the field, ready to run routes, ready to burn their red shirt. Yeah, I think Norval Black could be the guy that makes the makes the impact the quickest, just because. From watching his, I think I watched his freshman JUCO film. I'm not sure if I've seen his, his sophomore stuff. Maybe I did, but there wasn't a lot of it yet. Um, but I remember immediately feeling like this kid's got a, a lot of polish to his game, um, natural at the receiver position, um, just pop- popped as someone that looked college ready. Uh, and and that's, that, that's obvious to a degree 
you know, he's he's a JUCO guy relative to to some high school guys, but I, I could see him being a player that that makes some plays quickly. Uh, and then Keandre Lambert, highest ceiling of the bunch to me. Well, I don't know. The Malik Mega probably has the highest ceiling of the bunch. Um, he's just not. I, I don't see him being ready as a true freshman. Um, but the Mega kid is going to be ready. I, you know, he's just what happens with that guy. Like he could be a first round draft pick, <laughs> yeah. um, but it's, but who, but who knows? He could never play too. It, that's, that's the risk you take on a guy like that. But uh, so talented, so athletic film is, I mean, film strong, like good film, um, big playability, hard to know who he's playing. And, 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 but he, he can run past guys, I think anywhere in the country. And, and so uh, that, that one's a fascinating one to me. Um, but I think Keandre Lambert's sort of the guy that, um, as long as he's strong enough and 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 is takes to the offense and and is, uh, I think that's the type of player that comes in with the the tools, uh, the the athleticism uh, to come in and 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 I think be a factor early in his career. If we could stay on the pass targets, Theo Johnson was the big fish for this program down the stretch. As you know, Barton, they were able to beat out a, a few other contenders. Um, why was he such a big prize at the tail end of this recruitment in terms of the overall, you know, grand scheme of things for not just Penn State, uh, but, but, you know, every, it seemed like a lot of teams wanted this kid and, and he was a priority for them. Yeah, I, I've said it and I, I believe this. This is the best tight end class I've ever seen uh, and, and nationally. And... Uh, it was it, it, this this is the type of kid that I I think is usually the number one tight end in the country. I mean, that's that's how good he is to me. And uh, it's still among the best in the country in this class. And is he's so long like you. I'm sure you've seen him. I mean, he's six, six and he's all of it. And he's he's a long six, six and he's a wide six, six and he's a six, six. That's he's 240 pounds. And he looks like he's 215. And. Uh, he's just the type of kid that is uh, has so much upside uh, and and is is a really natural pass catcher and you know with these big tight ends I mean the size is is is, is half of it you know when you when you're just bigger than people and you can post them up and be a big target and and have use a catch radius to to beat people um, it's, it's hard to defend that and so. Just, just the size alone makes him special. But for him to to take that size and be able to stretch the field vertically, track the ball the way he does, soft hands he shows, uh, I really think this is uh, the next great tight end at Penn State, and he's gonna he's gonna be a, a really nice succession plan for uh, the future without Pat Fryermuth. He'll be there next month, and Pat Fryermuth said on Wednesday when he announced him as a signee, he said. Uh, he, yeah, he's going to take him under his wing, and he's going to do everything he can to have him ready to roll in 2020. Uh, Barton, I would love to go over a lot more names with you, but we've, we've gone almost 20 minutes now, and, and you spoke all day yesterday. I'm sure this is not your only conversation post-signing day, so let me just do this. There's a bunch of names in this class, whether it's Enzo Jennings or uh, Cole Brevard or, or, or uh, you know, across the board, Jimmy Christ. Uh, who is who is somebody or, or a few players here that stand out to you that maybe you value a little bit over where the rankings are at right now? Or just in generally, you are a big fan of them and, and they should not be overlooked by people. I'll throw Joseph Johnson out there, too, because he's one of the more compelling names in this class to me. No, yeah, for sure. Um I'm glad you framed it that way because there's two names in particular that I, I think they're like their rankings 
don't necessarily uh, how do I phrase this like based on what we know about them they're ranked where they are but I, I just sort of have a suspicion that they're a lot better and and the two guys are are Joseph Johnson and Tyler Warren uh, Joseph Johnson he's he's really skinny there's he was he was good in camp um, Brian Doan saw him I think at the Under Armour camp he's sort of a small school guy the film is is just sort of hard to gauge because it's it's just not like super high quality and and but he's long and the the body movement is there and the twitch is there and I just it wouldn't surprise me at all if this kid ends up being one of the best players in this class one of the best corners out there just uh I've just it's kind of a hunch with him um then the other one is Tyler Warren who I mean he's he's big Right, so he's six foot, whatever he is, six five, six six, two thirty plus. Um, but he played quarterback primarily. I don't think he even had any film out during his senior year, and I think he even played. He played mainly quarterback as a senior too, didn't he? He did. Uh, uh, and so, I don't think he's that good of a quarterback. But I think based on his athleticism, he's a really good basketball player. His his testing numbers are off the charts. This is the type of guy when you wonder why, you know, why, how a kid was a three star when, um, well, we can't, we can't just go guessing. Um, and so this is the type of guy, you know, if he was playing tight end or, or receiver or D end or something else in, in all these camps or in, on film for the past couple of years, who knows where he'd be ranked. But, um, it, but just based on his athletic profile, I'm taking this guy. 10 times out of 10 just about any school in the country uh and so i'm very anxious to see what penn state turns him into uh i, I think he's got a chance to be one of the real stars of this class Barton, we're of the same mind here sean and i have been calling tyler warren the mystery man of this recruiting class we we, we think he could be really special but we just don't know what it's going to look like and, and that's kind of the exciting thing the coaching staff has talked about that as well uh, hey, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate you, you, you making it for us. And uh, as always, I hope the folks out there continue to follow your coverage. And there's another signing day around the corner. I know it feels <laughs> a lot different these days, but there's there's another one lurking in February. Fortunately, the bulk of the work is done for most college programs and hopefully for you too, Barton. Get some family time in. Enjoy the holidays. And thanks for the time. All right, buddy. I appreciate it. All right. Take care. Once again, a big thank you to Barton Simmons. Be sure to follow his coverage throughout the recruiting year, and he's a big part of, of shaping these rankings that we talk about so much on the show. That's going to do it for now. We'll be back with you next week. Both Sean and myself and Mark Brennan from Lions 24-7 making the trek to Texas. I know Mark will be spending his Christmas there. I'll be flying down on Christmas night. Sean, fortunately, will be with his boys and his family for Christmas before joining us uh, the next day. So we got another Bull Media Day down there. Who knows what could pop up regarding the NFL draft. Uh, So we will be on the ground in Arlington, in Dallas, bringing you the latest from there. For now, head over to Lions247.com for coverage of signing day. We'll still have stories coming your way from that event for for the next couple weeks probably so much to get through from conversations with the staff from recruits and we do plan on having members of this recruiting class on the podcast as we start to settle into an off-season rhythm here and, and, and look a little bit toward that 2020 team for now though we're stepping away hope everyone is enjoying uh, the christmas season out there and 
whatever holiday plans you have, get there safely. Enjoy yourself. And we'll talk to you soon. For Sean Fitz, I'm Tyler Donahue. This is the Lions 24-7 Podcast. Baseball has begun, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today in 5, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Samphill, every Monday through Saturday as we deliver all of your fantasy baseball needs in just five minutes. We'll break down the biggest performers, news, and prospects who could make an impact this season. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found.